All right, let's do this. Let's do this. David X, how are you? Good. Do you do you ever have nice things to say about AT and T? Not since those. Uh, not since all those uh, inspirational uh, ads in the late eighties. Uh, you know about the the miracle of uh, satellite and fiber optic networks. Um, mm. There was one in particular, the Rocket Man uh, thing, where the guy faxes his daughter from the airplane, that, and a single tear rolls down my cheek. But that's the last time I ever had a good thought about AT and T. <laughs> All right, we need to find that in uh, YouTube and add that to the show notes. Yeah. Uh, it, that and you crying uh, while you watch it. <laughs> so yeah, no. In my case, uh, I saw that AT and T changed their unlimited plans and everything. So I just, but the the thing is though, is that they actually lowered their prices and gave you more data whenever you tether. Um, but they don't automatically do it. And I, I walked over to the AT&T store and they're like, and I was like, oh, well, hey, what's what's up with this? Uh, you know, can you hook me up? And they're like, yeah, sure. No problem. And your bill's going to be cheaper. And then uh, and I was my uh, you know how it is. They, they like set you up for like a year long Internet price and everything. And then uh, uh, then the price goes up. Well, I I called them and and I'm like, hey, my year is up. Uh, you know, should I be looking for a faster speed or, you know, better price or whatever? And they're like, no, it's like your, your price is pretty good and you're set for, it's like, you know, the fastest I can get is like 25 megabits, which is okay. It's good enough. And uh, for like 30 bucks a month, which is a bargain for all I need. And uh, so it's like, I'm all set up for, and, and they're not going to raise a price. And they're like, as long as you have your mobile phone and, and, uh, your uh, internet bundled together, you're you're like forever. You're going to have this price until we let you know that we raise it. So it's <laughs> it was you know. So I don't need to set my calendar and do this yearly, uh, you know, you know, pull, you know, get ready to fight them and everything. So it was mm-hmm. actually overall a, a pretty pleasant experience. Oh, that's nice. Okay, I didn't realize you were talking about your your home service as well. I had forgotten that you had uh, you had AT and T at home. Um, yep. So that's good. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. No, it's all good. Yeah. And it was all like, yes, sir. Let's lower your bill. And I'm like. Pfft. And I didn't have to twist any arms or anything. So wow, that's yeah. uh, capitalism working. That's capitalism. Yeah. Working. Well, and I don't know if they're like on their best behavior with the merger with Time Warner or something, and so they don't want any uh, angry people or whatever. But uh, but yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Well, so I had the opposite. Ex- well, I can't. I don't know if I can blame uh, anyone in particular for this. Mostly myself. But uh, I realized that uh, I was a HBO subscriber twice over. Oh yeah. For years. Maybe for like at least a year. Uh, so I had, um, yeah. I got the HBO now through my Google Fiber account, right? Um, yes. And then at some point, I had also downloaded the HBO app on my tablet and subscribed to it there. And so it wasn't until I was doing a little financial forensics I realized, hey, wait a minute, I have yes. two HBO accounts. How did this happen? Oh, um, and even today, I couldn't tell you which one was connected to what. So I just. Uh, I just canceled the, the one through the, uh, through the app store and, uh, now everything seems to be working, but, um, it was really easy to have two HBO subscriptions. Wow. Yeah. With the same email address, same email address. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I wonder how you could log in if they, if your login is based on your email, but maybe I guess it's based on the cable provider or whatever, but do you, I also get HBO for free with my AT&T unlimited subscription too. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, in that case, you're, there's no danger of you double subscribing, I guess. 
Um, no, unless I just lose my mind and just start signing up for stuff, yeah. Which is what I may have done. I, I'm not going to rule that out. Gets a little yeah. late in the day, get a couple drinks in you, and before you know it, you've uh, you've signed up for Showtime, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. So yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how it happens. That's how it happens. Um, but, uh, well, good for you. That's great. That's nice to have a... Uh, I, it is nice to not have to put those reminders in place for yourself. And it is, as a reminder to everybody, a good idea to, if you have a subscription service, give yourself a little tickler to remind you that you are subscribed to it. Um, uh, it's a, uh, otherwise you could very easily accumulate, you know, eels, uh, yes. on your, uh, on your bank account. Said, said the people that work for com- a company that sells subscriptions. Well, but that's correct. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we who know. who, who yeah. knows better that's than we? Who, know, who right. knows better than we? Yeah. yeah, the dangers of a subscription. Although the chances of you forgetting that you would subscribe to uh, Red Hat is, uh, is pretty low, I think. Yeah. I would hope. No, you put that on your calendar to celebrate every year. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I a hat day every year. I celebrate my hat day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I took my fancy new car on its first, uh, on its first road trip, uh, oh, okay. to, uh, to Dallas, uh, for the sales kickoff. All right. Yeah. So and, like, I, I have this picture, like if mm. I did that, I would be like the guy with the bad battery in his laptop and just like anxious <laughs> about like trying to find the next outlet. Were, yeah. were you sort of that way on the road? I was a little bit that way. I was, I was very mindful of, uh, how much battery I had, but you know, the car is pretty good about. Uh, communicating this kind of thing to you. And like when you put a destination to the navigation system, it actually builds in charging time. So it'll say like, oh, if you're going from Austin to, da- to Dallas, then stop into Waco and charge mm. up here for 10 minutes. And then that'll get you, that'll get your de- to your destination. Um, but uh, getting my brain around the calculus of, it's not like fill up the car full of gas and then you're good for another 300 miles until you got to go fill up the car again. It's a, uh, you're balancing off the amount of charge you get versus the amount of time you spent stopped. Um, and so you kind of, when you're, when you're stopping for a charge, you want to kind of build that in as like coffee break or like go get a, get dinner, get a snack, something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's it's just a different way of planning the trip, but I, I, it was a delight. I pulled into Waco and, uh, found this beautiful gleaming supercharging station, uh, plugged it in and I'd never seen my car charge so fast and I would not even at home. And, uh, mm-hmm. walked through the parking lot over to a delightful bakery, um, which was, uh, willing to sell me all kinds of, uh, baked goods and uh, peanut brittle and, uh, and whatnot. Had myself a delicious sandwich and, uh, finished up and got back in the car and I was full up and ready to go to Dallas. So, nice. um, yeah, it was a, it was a very, very pleasant experience. I was, uh, I thought I would be a lot more, like you say, I would thought I would be a lot more anxious than I actually was. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right. Cool. All right. So as long as Tesla stays solvent, I'm still a fan. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, All right. Well, what do we got for the show this week, Dave? So let's see. We are going to be talking about the definition of the word breach, uh, the definition of the word permission, Mm -hmm. and the definition of the term rat-catching team. Rat-catching team. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So – so, Dave, if uh, folks want to see this uh, AT&T video, which uh, brings me to tears every time I see it, what website should they go visit? Yeah, they want to go to dgshow.org. So, D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Very nice. Uh, what's on the cutting room floor? Yep. So, we got uh, 29 USB attacks all in one article. Um, <laughs> we have the Nash Equilibria applied to rock, paper, scissors, in case you were wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also uh, a delightful uh, talking HAL 9000 Christmas ornament. Oh, that sounds creepy. 
Yeah, so it's great. never too early for Christmas. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, Dave, you and I uh, really enjoy talking about uh, Facebook and uh, yes. and social networks. And so this week, these last couple of weeks have been a little bit like Christmas. Yes, yes, yes. This entire episode is dedicated to... Um, uh, we're we're going to unpack the Facebook uh, Cambridge Analytica um, news, and mm-hmm. and uh, we're not going to regurgitate what has already been in the press, but we're going to analyze some of the things that that did come out that had me scratch my head. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, should we just uh, should we just jump in? Yeah, yeah. So so you've been I'm, I'm sure you've been following it. Have, have you been worried about it or anything like that? No, no. As as you know, I I I, I quit Facebook some time ago, um, and uh, I'm not. I don't think. Uh, I think it predated uh, the date where all of this kind of all this happened. Um, so if there is some data in there in this, if some of my data was implicated in this, it's not. It's not current. I'll put it yes. that way. Um, okay. But uh, I. It was really interesting to see. I mean, it was just described as like a breach. But it wasn't quite a breach, right? Oh, it wasn't a breach. Now, uh, according to the vice president and and deputy general counsel at Facebook, it absolutely was not a breach. <laughs> what was the uh, what, what? What is his preferred metaphor? <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's what I would like to know. Number one, but yeah. but what he does say is that the claim that this is a data breach is completely false. And then he contended that Facebook users knowingly provided their information, no systems were infiltrated, and no passwords uh, or sensitive pieces of information were stolen or hacked. And he also goes on to say that everyone involved gave their consent. Right, right. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. It it wasn't a breach. (laughs) Sure felt like a breach, though, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like if if it isn't a breach, what what do we call this new thing? And or is it you know is, do we call it that it's working as intended? Right, right. Yeah, you know, that uh, would be my next question to him. It's like okay, so did this work the way it's, it was supposed to? Yeah, it was well, that's right. And so if it's and so if it's not a breach, then it's a con scan. Then it's a confidence. It's a feature, scan. right? <laughs> it's not... That's the title right there. It's not a breach. <laughs> it's, it's not a, a breach. It's a feature. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. right we need a bell that we can well i mean this is that well the, i mean this is the this is the point it actually is a feature from the point of view of an advertiser right um yes like this is the system working as intended uh yes. and it just so happens that um it's basic it seems to be impossible because of the complex set of interactions i mean taking to the side the fact that um Cambridge Analytica or its agents appear to have broken Facebook's rules on data handling and things like that. Um, to put all that to the side, the idea that any single person could read even a bunch of legalese and provide meaningful consent to this kind of complex interlocking set of disclosures is just mm-hmm. hilarious, right? Like yeah. no, no human would have been able to anticipate that by saying yes, they were enabling all of this behavior. Um, yes. I, I want this to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, anyway, it's interesting, especially timely, because what the GDPR comes into place soon, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and we'll be talking about that. Um, yes. Right. Yes, coming up. But you know, the other thing is that they, you know, they talked about in in other articles about Facebook hiring a for, a forensic investigative team to verify that the data was deleted. And I'm like. How do you verify that? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, uh, you collect pinky swears from everyone who has handled the data, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, and it's like, how do you know that there weren't other copies laying around or somebody doesn't have it in a thumb drive in a mayonnaise jar underneath their porch or something like that? Um, right. So all, yeah. all the da- all the data has been watermarked. <laughs> so it's the, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then um, the other thing was that um, you know what a shadow profile is, a Facebook shadow profile. I don't. I don't know what that yeah. is. So, um, so this is one of the other things that even, you know, in, in your case, Gunnar, where you don't have a Facebook account, Facebook may actually have a shadow profile on you, meaning that, um, like, it, it actually can form a dossier on you based upon your interactions and engagements on the Internet and also data brokers and things like that, that, you know, it's not like Facebook is just looking at the data it collects, it actually contracts to data brokers to get a more complete picture of what your demographic is. So, so, uh, to improve your ad experience. Uh, I see. So, um, so if you log into Facebook and you've uploaded your contacts, then my phone number is in there. And so they know there's somebody out there with that phone number. They probably, if enough people upload their contact data, which almost everybody has to Facebook, then they, then Facebook probably already has a pretty good idea about who all my friends are, even if they don't know specifically who I am. Um, and could probably make some instructed, probably make some constructive assumptions about, uh, what my demographics are, um, income, stuff like that. And that could be supplanted then by any browsing data they might pick up. So even if I'm not a formal Facebook user, I still, if I hit a Facebook, uh, pixel or bug on a web page, um, they're going to know, okay, I don't know who this person is, but I know that they visited these 19,000 websites. Um, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't, uh, they call this, so what is that? There's a word for this in data in, uh, in, in private, in privacy circles and it's escaping me right now, but it's something like, um, emergent data, right? Um, where I don't know precisely, for instance, the identity of this person, uh, but I could figure out who this person is if I know kind of six or seven kind of secondary pieces of data. Yes. And, and my guess though, too, is it like, I wonder if there would be, if they know more than, than even that though, right? Where it's like they could scrape public refer- records, they can go to da- data brokers, they could, mm-hmm. they could slurp all this stuff in, make a profile of you. And then if you go to a non-Facebook website that is serving up Facebook ads, mm-hmm. they could still, you know, target you with ads that are, that fit your profile based upon the shadow profile that they built of you. That, that again, mm-hmm. is bigger than your browsing history. Yes. I mean, it seems like an awful lot of work when all they really have to do is ask the People's Liberation Army who already has all the stuff on me, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. But yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, what's interesting about this for me is that it's, the anger is being located pretty specifically on first Cambridge Analytica and crew. Um, and then second on Facebook, right. You know, Zuckerberg is now showing up in Congress and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which is long overdue. Like, I'm glad that's, I'm glad all that's happening. Um, but, uh, we're like one missent email from Google also getting embarrassed by something like this, I would think. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where I was reading about, uh, I saw an article about like, you know how like there's uh, Google I, I would argue that maybe a slight difference, and I'm sure Google people can correct me, um, is that in the case of Google Plus, uh, intentionally they set up Google Plus to not be API driven. And so um, that that's one thing. And then the other thing is that it seems like um, 
that Facebook would let people do queries of the, the Facebook's data stores, whereas, and I, again, I could be wrong, is that Google keeps all that information to themselves where mm -hmm. they just want to be an ad, ad broker to say that, oh, well, whoever searched for uh, tenor shoes, I'll charge them $10 for that ad if they click on it or something. Mm -hmm. um, but they're not going to sell that data or make that data available through an API right. of, of the profile. And right. I could be wrong. Right, right. No, I know. I've, I've, I have the same impression that they're, they are happy to, they are happy to use that data in order to improve everyone's ad experience. Uh, but they're not going to go licensing that data out to anybody. Um, and in a, in the way that Facebook, I mean, which is really Facebook's problem. Like nobody seems to have a problem in principle with Facebook using this data to go target ads at somebody. Um, yeah. It's the sharing the data with other folks is re kind of the bright line that that seems to have been crossed, right? Yes. Yes, and that's what surprised me. I didn't know that was happening. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. that I never I thought it would be more like a Google side of it that it would like the data would be kept on their servers and not slurped out. And that that's the other thing going back to our discussion of whether it's a breach or not. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, like all these API calls where it, you know the data was actually leaving, you know, the the you know the Cambridge Analytica was getting all of the data as opposed to it being like a a true false or, or something that just like that, like you're querying um, the the data. It was it was all slurped out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Huh. So there's a uh, so changing changing tracks a little bit. There there's a second kind of a scandal which I'm hearing less about, and I'm hoping you've read you've read more than I have about it. But I'm getting conflicting information about whether this Cambridge Analytica set of an out, like the whole point was that Cambridge Analytica was going to get this data set and then that was going to allow them to uh, kind of uh, target political messages with scientific precision at individual people, right? Yes. Um, yes. And I'm hearing controversy around the fact of whether that is effective or not. Now, to be clear, whether it's effective or not doesn't materially affect how awful and creepy the Cambridge Analytica Facebook relationship was. Like the, the data disclosure is, is, is bad all by itself, no matter how they used it. Um, but I'm also hearing that uh, this Cambridge Analytica was like a lot of, some people say it was very effective and, you know, you could attribute mm -hmm. the uh, election outcome to it. But other folks are saying like, this is actually snake oil and never really mm -hmm. worked the way that anybody wanted to. Um, have mm -hmm. you heard one way or another? I've heard all of, all along the spectrum that mm -hmm. one, it did happen. Uh, then number two, you'll, you'll have like the, the videos of the CEO of uh, Cambridge Analytical Analytica saying that, oh, we masterminded the whole thing yeah, yeah. Um, to other articles. You know, so they're taking total credit for Trump's win. And then there are people on the other side of the spectrum saying that, oh, this is, you know, it, it is snake oil. It's terrible and everything. But I would argue that even if it is snake oil in this instantiation, um, it could only get better and, and yes. you know, be more useful to, you know, track people and, you know, uh, come up with stuff that would really resonate with them. Right. Right. I mean, advertising is, I mean, uh, it's advertising works, right. And it works for, for a pretty good reason. So the, yes. I guess the question, it's just a matter of degrees of whether this kind of like micro targeting is, is, is effective or not. Um, although I think we can say categorically that yes, of course, advertising works. And so that's why we spend money on political advertising is because we want to go change people's minds and, um, uh, so I guess, I guess it can, I guess both things can be true. It can be effective, but maybe not quite as effective as Cambridge Analytica would like us to believe. Um, yes. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, this brings up another topic, uh, which we did not 
uh, talk about earlier, but uh, because just last night I listened to a recent episode of the Invisibilia podcast. Are you familiar with this? Mm. No, no. Okay. So this is uh, uh, some, uh, at least, I think, at least Miller, at least Spiegel, is it? And uh, Hannah Rosen. Anyway, kind of famous uh, podcast and NPR personalities. Um, they do the show, which is a little bit like a, uh, uh, like a less heavily produced radio lab. Um, kind of, uh, it's a, a lot of narrative heavy explainers, um, okay. for, uh, for, you know, living in the modern life and stuff like that. The mm-hmm. recent episode was about a, uh, a woman who was a convicted felon and has since kind of redeemed herself and recently went in before, uh, a state Supreme court to get the right to go sit for the bar exam. And they used this as a launching point for a discussion about, uh, the value of, um, uh, finding patterns and what conclusions we can draw from patterns, right? So we can say that, well, if somebody has been a felon, uh, we have a whole pile of data, which tells us that if you are a felon in the past, you will probably not make a very good lawyer in the future. Um, hmm. you know, a better call Saul, not, notwithstanding. Um, and, <laughs> right. and, uh, uh, and the, the story was about, well, while that's true to a certain degree, that is, you know, we can, we can, there is a pr- certain predictive quality we can make to, you know, having a pile of demographic data, you know, pile of sociological data. Um, it's also true that if you talk to anybody who's in this business for real, that uh, looking for patterns and trying to find like, well, if this person has hit these six or seven milestones, we can say with a 30% certainty or an 80% certainty that they're going to do X, Y, Z. Um, everyone in that business uh, agrees that uh, it is almost impossible to make predictions for any given individual, no matter how much data you have about their background. And they go into Mm -hmm. like a lot of explanation around this, but um, I thought it was interesting to hear this, especially in light of the the Cambridge Analytica work and wondering whether it was effective or not. Um, There is, uh, there is a heavy bias in the human mind towards uh, finding reassurance in patterns and predictability. And, Uh, in fact, a whole field of data science is built up around this premise of like, no, as long as we have enough data, we actually know what's going to happen next. Um, right. when in fact that is almost never borne out, um, which is really interesting. Uh, like the uh, question of what are the limits of what this data can do in, in people's hands? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and obviously like we're saying, you know, advertising broadly construed advertising can actually influence how people think or, um, and uh, we can say in broad strokes, like if I know your income and your zip code, I can make some pretty good guesses about what your politics are going to be. That's good. That kind of thing. Um, but, uh, the accuracy of that for any individual is actually very low. Um, which is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. kind of a, a night, uh, will. And so the question becomes if Facebook has a comprehensive corpus of data on me, um, does that, does that actually help them understand me, my behavior or what my future behavior will be, um, any better? Um, and, uh, what this invisibilia episode suggests is like, well, no, um, it actually doesn't help them know you any better. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Kind of a, almost a paradox, right? Yeah. And I wonder if it's like, what's the difference between that and whether you'll buy Coors Light and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and so or like, what are the odds that you'll get cancer or whatever based upon, you know, whatever your, your life history is and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. 
And I so, don't know. The, yeah, and so the, I guess, with, you know, with this Cambridge Analytica thing, this idea that you can kind of like target individual people, well, once you're down at the individual level, uh, things yes. get so chaotic and noisy that it's probably yeah. not going to be accurate. But if you're talking about targeting a class of people um, or, you know, a specific subset of a demographic, like, you, yeah, you could probably be okay accurate, right? Yes. Um, yes. But there is something to be said for you know, just, uh, uh, chaos and, and probability tell us that um, targeting individuals is actually never going to be practical, no matter how much data you bring to bear, which is really interesting. Yeah. And also expecting perfection as well. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Fun. Yep. So we got more on Facebook. Okay. Yeah, let's you go. You want to keep going? Yeah, yeah man. Let's, let's unload it. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> Back okay, up the truck. So, <laughs> yeah. So with, you know, the other fun thing I saw was it uh, with, you know, there's uh, stuff that came out with Apple and Tim Cook saying stuff about, uh, you know, it's like when the company, uh, you know, when the product is you, you're, you know, you're not a customer, you're the product, blah, 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 all that mm-hmm. stuff. And, uh, and then Zuckerberg re- retorting and everything. But Anyhow, uh, one of the things that did come up was that uh, if you use that Android Facebook app, um, the security model with Android at the time would allow the Android app to uh, slurp up all your contacts, all your SMS logs, uh, so they know who you're texting and when. Um, and they weren't collecting the actual SMS data, but they were just collecting, you know, just for the um, social graph part of it. Uh, they were collecting that. Whereas on if you had an iPhone, uh, the iPhone security prevents you from doing that. Right. Yes. And this was, and to be clear, this was a uh, this was a problem that Google has since fixed this. But mm-hmm. this is not something kind of the responsibility kind of falls on both ends because uh, Google should never have allowed this permissive uh, a treatment of the data. Um, but also Facebook should never have taken advantage of it really. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so In the same see, way that Cambridge Analytica shouldn't have taken advantage of the Facebook data. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, and I think it's really telling like Facebook, you know, it's like, oh yeah, well we made mistakes and uh, we're moving so quickly. You know, it's hard to, um, uh, you know, uh, I think Zuckerberg had some interview where he was saying like, you know, well, there's no way I could have known 10 years ago uh, when I was putting Facebook together that I'd be, you know, influencing nation states. And, uh, you know, this basically what he's saying is like, this was never in my threat model. Um, yes. And that may be true, uh, but it is also kind of obje- <laughs> objectively wrong for Facebook to be slurping up people's text messages. Um, yes. There's no reason for that at all. Um, and that was just sloppiness, right? Yes, yes. Yes. And, um, yeah, and that's, that's the other interesting thing is that the, I guess comparing and contrasting the Android model with the iOS model is that the iOS model seems to be, uh, white things get whitelisted over time. Maybe mm-hmm. like, remember when even the old versions of iOS, you couldn't even copy and paste between apps. Yeah. And yeah, I was gonna, yeah, I was know. gonna make some joke. I was gonna make some joke that like Apple can barely get to apps to talk to each other. Um, so the chances that they would accidentally be sharing text messages is pretty low. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're, and that's a security feature, I guess. Whereas with Android, maybe it's a little bit more permissive and then they, they button things up over, you know, after, you know, the horse leaves the barn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But, and then the other thing is it, uh, you know, the, the reply from, uh, uh, you know, Facebook, they put out a, uh, a blog post saying fact check 
your call on SMS history was was the title of the blog post. So anything named fact check is like you, you could tell they're on the defensive. But <laughs> um, so but the thing that they're saying is that, oh, well, actually, people had to expressively agree to use this and they could turn it off at any time, which would also delete any call and text data shared with the app. And and so two things there is it it's like if you saw the screen, it's like um, it's either yes, do it now or there wasn't a no, there was like a maybe later, which, okay, I get it. Um, but, you know, it's it's sort of like the way that, they, you know, there I've seen other articles too that, that talk about how people design user interfaces to make it confusing uh, in terms of, you know, to getting people to opt in more than they would feel comfortable. Um, just that, oh, you'll be able to talk to your friends if you do this, but if you don't do it, well, you know, maybe not. Um, yeah. So, yeah. and then, then the other part was like, well, um, you know, the privacy policy changes all the time of, of all these different companies. So how can people keep track of all, whether they even read them or not, hmm. but keeping track of all the changes as well. And, you know, the, and so there's a policies, but also the permissions within the apps as well of, of like, you know, do people set a calendar appointment to uh, button down their, their privacy changes on all their apps all the time. Well, it's a, well, that's the thing that finally drove me from the platform altogether was that the privacy rules kept changing and the tools kept changing so often that, mm-hmm. um, I, ironically, you know, them constantly tweaking it and trying to give me more privacy controls, um, what it was so confusing and I could never really understand what I was saying yes to and what I wasn't that I became just generally really uncomfortable with the platform at all. Like I didn't feel like I had any meaningful, uh, like, first of all, there was no consent, and then there was no meaningful control. Um, yeah. So that's why I just okay, I, I'm, I've had it. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk away from this. Um, but I mean, especially now. Now that was almost what ten years ago. Um, yeah. And so now, fast forward ten years, the situation has gotten not gotten better. Right. It's gotten yes. like significantly worse as the as the amount of data and the number of interactions that the platform has with other things has increased. It's. Uh, I mean, the idea that a user could actually meaningfully consent to anything Facebook asks for is kind of, is I mean, is like satire, right? Yes. Like, there's no way somebody could say yes in a way that, yeah, there's no meaningful yes that somebody could give, I don't think. Yes. Well, and, and so in your case, you threw your hands up and say, no, I'm out, mm-hmm. where I would argue that the vast majority of the people will just throw their hands up and say, eh, everybody knows all my data anyhow. And they yeah. just say, I, I agree, whatever. Yes. And yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, which is even more insidious, right? Uh, yes. So now between, uh, between the, you know, the, uh, Snowden disclosures and everything else, people have got a, um, Scott McNeely was a, of Sun Microsystems. He said it years ago and I guess he's now right. It's like, you know, privacy is a fiction, you know, you can uh, kiss it goodbye. And, um, everything about, you know, everything about the story of privacy over the last 10 years is tells us that, yep, that's, that's pretty much true. (laughs) Yep. (sighs) All right. Tell me something funny. No, we're not there yet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, what, so one of the other things that uh, Mark Zuckerberg was talking about was uh, he floated the idea of a Supreme Court for Facebook. Uh, I don't know what that means, and maybe I wonder if he knows what a Supreme Court means. Yes. And, yeah, so so the thing what, that he was talking about with uh, Ezra Klein on a podcast on April 2nd 
was that uh, you know he was saying that Facebook, unlike many other companies, has to police the speech on its platform, determining what is hateful and what is unacceptable content and what is not. And and uh, the other thing that he talked about is that uh, it, it will I'll quote him here is that I think it's actually one of the most interesting philosophical questions we face. With a community of over 2 billion people all around the world in every different country, there are wildly different social and cultural norms. And it's just not clear uh, to me that us sitting here in California are the best place, are, are our best place to always determine what the policy should be for people around the world. And I've been thinking it through. How can you set up a more democratic, community-oriented processes that reflects the values of the people around the world. So the thing he's saying is that, well, number one is that it's it's poor me. I need to I need the police speech on the platform. Um, and then number two is that what what about um, what is hateful in some countries is okay in other countries, and or you know what is what is seen as free speech in some countries is seen as uh, you know, questioning the government in other countries, which is, uh, I guess, illegal. Um, and and so I guess my question for you is, should companies police speech on their platform? Yeah, I get, uh, so I, my first reaction to this is like, moral relativism is the last bastion of the rascals. Like <laughs> this idea that like, well, you know, uh, everyone has a different culture and it's really complicated and we have to figure out how to navigate all these, uh, all these different cultural sensitivities from around the world. So it's basically impossible. Um, yes. so we're not going to do anything right. Which is not, which is not a fair, that, that's just not a reasonable answer. Um, it's also true that he's talking as though he's a, he's a, he's a nation state. Um, yes. he doesn't have the obligations of a nation state. He can do whatever he wants. Um, his constraint is alienating people that advertisers want to target. Um, and so he can set up whatever rules he wants. Um, and so, you know, he's, uh, positioning it as, you know, some choice between like democracy and fascism or whatever, but it's not, that's not the choice. Like he mm -hmm. is a, it's a, it's a company, right? With yeah. a, with a ledger and a bottom line and a set of customers and a set of vendors. And so he can make whatever choices he wants in order to, and the choices he's making right now are choices around maximizing, uh, maximizing the population on the platform. Right. Um, and, uh, this idea that he's, uh, this kind of charade that he's putting on around like the ethical and moral considerations is like, that's not, that, that, that's, that, that's not true. If he did have moral or ethical considerations, then he wouldn't be so, so gun shy around like putting rules in place around hate speech. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would think. Um, well, and I'll, but if you look at, um, you know, like in, was it Germany? Somebody went to jail for hate speech of, of, uh, I forget what they were, uh, they were talking about the Holocaust or something like that. And they yeah. went to jail. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, whereas should... if, if you say the same thing in the United States, it may not be popular, but it's not illegal. That's and right. then all of a sudden you need to have – and then if you say something in another country about whether it's somebody's religion or, or whatever, then um, that's another can of worms. And so – you well, know, it's a kind of thing. Do you do you? How do you? Should they police it? Should they have a community-based approach? Should they just let everybody go? And but but there's also laws on the books, like in Germany, yeah. that people you know it's like oh you're you're you know um, facilitating hate speech. Yes. So they they have to I guess legal they're legally bound to prevent it. 
Yeah, well, that's right. And so in, in that sense, he, you know, this belly aching about his, uh, his moral or ethical quandary is like crocodile tears because he doesn't have a moral or ethical quandary. What he's got is a compliance problem, right? Yeah. And so one that he has pretty successfully navigated thus far is that um, when France passes uh, laws around um, uh, talking about, or Germany passes laws around, uh, around talking about Nazis, um, Facebook doesn't seem to have too big a problem complying with that, right? Um, mm-hmm. and they're more than happy to do so. Um, his moral or ethical quandary is like, well, do I put additional, cons- do I, you know, uh, I'm reluctant to put additional moral or ethical constraints around people's posting beyond what nation states already tell me is, is, is allowed. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, that just seems like I don't take that seriously. Um, it's, yeah, he is interested in compliance with national laws. Um, he doesn't seem particularly interested in, uh, in creating a, uh, a separate kind of ethical regime for Facebook, right? Over and above the, um, uh, over and above what's what he's legally obligated to do. Mm-hmm. Um, now that said, I mean, it's entirely. So what I mean to say is, like, it's entirely within his right to say, like, well, well uh, you know, Facebook is going to be is going to uphold Western liberal values around free speech and uh, the free expression and, and uh, the free exchange of ideas. Um, and I'm going to stick to those guns and I'm going to go, but that's conspicuously, that's not what he's saying, right? He's saying, um, well, I don't actually have those values. I feel like it might be worth it to actually put some of, put some constraints on top of my existing obligations to, to nation states. And, uh, I don't know what those, I don't, I don't, it's too complicated to figure out what those additional morals or ethics should be. Um, so I'm just not going to do anything. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, a, it's yes. a, it's a, it's a bunch of, it's like a bunch of gobbledygook and crocodile tears. Um, mm-hmm. like if he actually had a moral conviction in his body, um, he could just do that tomorrow. Like he could just, <laughs> he could, he could just say like, this is a, this is a place of free expression period. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah. And then that goes back to like the problems that Twitter faces as well in terms of trolls and, uh, well, that's right. But that's a, that's a, I think it's important not to look at that through a, it, it's, a, I believe that both Twitter and Facebook are not looking at these as moral or ethical issues. Otherwise we would see much more meaningful action on those problems. The way they are treating it instead is as a, as a market optimization problem, um, mm-hmm. where if we make the platform too restrictive on different ways of expression, then we lose out to certain audiences, which we might find mm-hmm. lucrative or valuable or whatever. Um, and so that's what makes this complicated. It's not that the moral or ethical issues are complicated. It's that the moral or ethical, ethical issues are being balanced against a business concern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's a business problem as yeah. opposed to an ethical one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, all right. I'm all, all exercised right. now. All right. What else? Okay. We, we <laughs> got more. We got line them up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Okay, so you wanted to learn about what a rat-catching team is. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds like fun. Yeah, okay. So um, at Red Hat, do we have a a job title by the name of uh, uh, Head of Investigations? Uh, uh, Hopefully not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, so Facebook has one. Um, So... um, but it's so this article from the Guardian, it was pretty interesting that and this isn't just Facebook, but you can imagine like every time there is a new iPhone that comes out or, or, you know, all the NDAs that are in place in terms of keeping their 
employees in check to, to keep, prevent leaks from happening, uh, to prevent co the competition from you know, catching up to them. And so it winds up that Facebook is one example where they have uh, they have a, a secretive rat catching team that is led by their company's uh, head of investigations uh, that will go around and um, you know in the story they they talk about um, you know they had records of this uh, one guy's um, uh, screenshots that he's taken uh, things that he's clicked on or hovered over like not even clicked on but just hovered over. Um, they uh, strongly indicated that they access his chats between him and a journalist uh, dating back to before he even joined the company. And so, like, there's all kinds of stuff in here. And the other thing that was interesting, too, is that they talk about that companies like uh, uh, Google and Facebook, they actually, they actually hire external agencies to surveil their staff. And uh, guess the name of one of the companies? The Pinkertons. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yes. And and so I'm reading this and I'm like, they actually exist still? You know, it's like I'm, I have this Deadwood like thing yeah. in my mind, this, you know, snidely whiplash guy <laughs> that gets off a train and, you know, and it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so, yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. So Google and Facebook deny that they are clients, but Pinkerton's website, I think, says that Google and Facebook are clients. Yeah, uh, well, naturally so, they are. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then when, yeah. uh, and then once they encounter, uh, uh, once they start getting some labor problems, uh, they've got the Pinkertons on speed dial for to do some union busting as well. Yeah, that's good. exactly. <laughs> that's that's yeah. great. But, uh, but we got some good news though. Oh, okay. All right. I'm ready. I'm very ready for that. Uh, so if we're, we're all done with Facebook, right? We're, we're done with Facebook. There is an alternative uh, that's out there. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, it's, um, so it's basically, it doesn't exist yet, but it, in theory, it should exist by taking advantage of blockchain technology. <laughs> I knew you were going to say blockchain. I knew you were yes. going to say blockchain. <laughs> yes. And this article, it talks about, they specifically call it self-sovereign identity. Um, and I'll, I'll save you the 10 minutes of, of reading the article. Um, but if you like PGP and key signing parties, this social network is for you. I do. Uh, as soon as you said uh, blockchain and use the word self-sovereign, I just I felt like I lost a bite of blood. I just Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And imagine it's like, is John Q. Public going to like, it's like, oh, people want to own their own data and everything. And it's like. And they want to own their own identity. No, they don't. Nobody does. They, they, no. Yeah. I mean, they don't, you know, they don't want to, do they want to give the, so then their choices are, do they keep it to themselves, which they're not going to do. They're, you know, it's too difficult, mm -hmm. right? The other thing is that, do you really keep the data to yourself? If you share it with somebody, that means they get another copy of it. And then does that mean that, oh, well, I trust it to a third party, like another government or a, I trust it to a company, um, so I don't know. I, I think it, again, it's like, if you like PGP, this, the social networks for you. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. Oh. yeah. 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 And, and to close out, there was, hmm. uh, there's one other thing that, um, so when was the last time you built a PC? Oh, geez. Uh, let's, let's say 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah, it's been wow, 20 years right. since I built yeah. my PC. Especially as, yeah, probably since things have, laptops have become more and more capable, you just buy it and you're done with it. Um, 
but yeah, for so in your case, like with Soren, if you want to get your your chops uh, warmed up again on building your own PC, there is actually a uh, a game on Steam uh, called PC Building Simulator. <laughs> oh god, this sounds good. Okay, keep yeah. going. Keep going. <laughs> so you yeah, so you pick all the components, you assemble them. If you don't have the the right power, um, you know it's not going to work. If it's, you know, it's it, everything has to work out great. You could overclock it. I guess you can catch it on fire. Um, and then there's even a game aspect to it where you you could start to own your own PC repair business and people will bring you PCs that don't boot or shut down randomly and you could do virus scans on them and reseat the RAM and, and all that. So all the thrill of running your own PC repair business, but right from the comfort of your own home. Yes, yes. And to me, it's like I, I need to do a feature request where they can get they could add family members to the game and also neighbors to the game <laughs> with broken PCs. And yeah, yeah, that's right. I can imagine in the game there being like a bonus round of like, surprise, it's Christmas and now you have to meet all the in-laws. And... <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all time bound. And right, yeah, exactly. uh, that's great. Yes. That's great. Uh, all right, Dave, what do you say? You want to wrap this up? Yeah, you got a plane to catch. I got a plane to catch. Um, so, uh, so Dave, if folks want to, so what do we got? The, we got the AT&T video. Um, we've got that Invisibilia episode, um, and, uh, links to all the other stuff we want to talk about in the show. Where, where should people go? They want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. All right. Uh, thanks everyone. Stay safe out there. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. Bye. 